0: Welcome to the Penguin Podcast.
1: And welcome to the Penguin Podcast. Here at Penguin, we're getting very excited about all the Jubilee celebrations that are coming up. And so, to mark the occasion, we've got a really royal-themed podcast for you. First up, we've got Kate Williams, author of the thrilling Gothic novel The Pleasures of Men, who is going to take us on a trip back to 1897, and the first time that the royal family celebrated a diamond Jubilee. We've also got a reading from Sue Townsend's hilarious book The Queen and I, an imaginary boxing match between the Queen and Henry Seventh, and an interview with Sarah Bradford, the author of Queen Elizabeth II, Her Life in Our Times, and The Authority on All Things Royal. But first, here's Kate Williams, talking to us about Queen Victoria and her Diamond
2: Jubilee. Hello listeners, I'm Sarah and I'm sitting here with Kate Williams, author of The Pleasures of Men, With the Diamond Jubilee just around the corner, we thought we'd get Kate into the podcast and talk about some comparisons between Queen Elizabeth's Jubilee and Queen Victoria's. So Kate, over to you. Well, it's
0: fascinating to me to be looking at Queen Elizabeth's Jubilee just around the corner, 60 years on the throne, and of course the only other person who managed that was Queen Victoria, whose Diamond Jubilee in 1897 was a completely different occasion. She, even though she was 78 to our Queen Elizabeth's 86, she was exhausted, she was weary, and yet at the same time she was the ruler of this incredibly huge empire. Britain had only swelled and got more wealthy, and more powerful under her reign. I set my book, The Pleasures of Men, in the very early years of Victoria's reign, the 1840s, and then things were so different. It was insecure, there was poverty, there was much mistrust of a woman on the throne. It was all very different. But she came through that and became this incredibly successful monarch. And the city of London, which is as it was at the time, and I show it in my book, Decayed and full of crime and ruinous, and and it was stalked. These dark streets were stalked. By the end of the, the Queen Victoria's reign, it was flaring, flaring with these great lamps and the light, and that was exactly what the Diamond Jubilee celebrated. This incredible flowering of Britain during the period, and it really was. Well, it was something to behold. the The lights, that the, the place was on fire with lights, with bunting. Millions were spent. The equivalent of millions were spent on decorating London for the Diamond Jubilee, because the politicians knew what a great thing it was going to be. They almost called it Jubilissime, which to me seems the most tasteless thing you could imagine. But they almost did, and everyone in Britain they wanted to celebrate. Everyone wanted a picture of Queen Victoria, there were stamps sold, portraits sold and one of the very popular souvenirs was a bustle which sang God Save the Queen when you sat down, so kind of like a royal whoopee cushion really. (laughs) And thousands of people flocked into Britain and flocked into London to watch the celebrations. And it's, you know, rather like we talk about the Olympics now going, oh, you know, there'll be nowhere to eat. We won't be able to get there. You know, we'll be stuck in traffic for 25 hours, you know, all the rest of it. We won't be able to get into the, the, the shopping centre, let alone, you know, the, the Olympic Park. Everyone thought that about the jubilee. They were concerned there would be no no places in hotels. Uh, that waiters were going to be charging uh, essentially, a thousand pounds a day because they were so sought after. It was a city overtaken by madness to celebrate the Diamond Jubilee, and I, I think we've got a lot of comparisons coming up for the first the first weekend in June, in which we see Elizabeth II. Just like Victoria, a woman who was never intended to become a queen. Victoria was born a long way from the throne. Elizabeth II was only queen because her uncle Edward VIII abdicated. These two women came to the throne very young, never expected to be queen, have made an incredible success of it, and I think prove most of all that the British, they like their queens.
2: They certainly do, and as much as there's going to be a huge celebration in London this year with the Jubilee... What do you think it's going to be like outside of London? Do you think there'll be street parties like what there were in Queen Victoria's Jubilee? Or do you think it's going to be a little bit more downstated elsewhere?
0: Queen Victoria's Jubilee was a national celebration, indeed or a worldwide celebration, considering by the end of her reign she ruled a quarter of the world's population. It, we don't really rule the quarter of the world's population anymore. And of course, Elizabeth II, she's seen the end of empire and the fragmenting of the Commonwealth in her reign, but the United Kingdom is still under Elizabeth's rule because Scotland hasn't devolved yet. And I think this is a great occasion, a great celebration. And it will be, the Big Lunch will be, I think, terribly popular across the country. I've received my own Big Lunch pack. And unfortunately, I'm going to be working on that day doing commenting. But it's amazing. You get stamp, you get you, see, you get seeds and you get posters. And I think many people will really grasp the chance to have a a celebration, a street party, a street lunch. And really, we are celebrating not just Queen Elizabeth with the Diamond Jubilee, but we're also celebrating our history in general. I mean, Queen Elizabeth is the 20th century. She was born into the Great Depression. She lived through the Second World War, she was in the 50s, the 60s, had the Anna cerebilis of the 90s, the low point after Diana's death, though, in which the monarchy was very unpopular, come through the boom and bust, and she's still there. And she is the 20th century, and I think particularly she is our history. And even however, whatever we may think about the monarchy, British history is to a large extent kings and queens, and that's what we have. And so she even though it's not an unbroken line back to Henry VIII and before, it still is this line of, of rule, I mean, ni- this line of monarchs, that she is very much a part of. And we're celebrating not just her reign, not just the royal family, we're also celebrating British history in general and the long way we've come, I think, since Queen Victoria.
2: Definitely. And obviously you mentioned just before then that the only people that have made it this long are Queen Victoria and Queen Elizabeth. What is it about Women on the Throne?
0: Well, I think us girls live for longer. That's the thing. We have longer. We live for much longer, and of course, this is great for us, but pretty difficult for our heirs. Both <sighs> Prince Charles and Edward the Seventh, future the Seventh, were waiting for an awful long time, and it was last year that Prince Charles overtook Edward the Seventh for holding the record for having the title Prince of Wales for the longest time. Edward VII was the one who did before. So Prince Charles, Edward VII, they have to wait. But it's marvellous for the population because there's nothing more we like than a queen who's been there for a long time. We don't like our politicians to be there for very long. We, we have no desire to see Blair being a comeback king like we see with Putin we don't want to see, you know, a whole generations of families ruling that you have in America. But what we like is that our queen is just there forever. And it's almost that the 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 uh, change, the change changing nature of our democratic prime ministers is because it's guaranteed by the fact that the Queen is just there forever and ever. She's not moving. She's there. She's not changing. She's still got the handbag. She's still got the corgis. It's exactly the same as it was all those years ago. And we like that stability. And I think the same with Queen Victoria, previous to Queen Victoria. Her predecessors had been rather... Uh, feckless and they have been rather lazy and they have been debauched and spendthrift and she secured the throne through her duty, through her hard work, but particularly through the fact that she was just there for so long. And I think it's exactly the same with Elizabeth II. Previous to the Queen, George VI was very popular, but Edward VIII abdicated and I don't think we quite see now what a massive impact that had on the country, on her and, but it's all been forgotten now. We think of Edward the as something of a joke, not a king that we missed out on, and that's thanks to her longevity. So, you know, as ladies, we we live for longer, so we're good queens, I think. And as when when Queen Victoria was born as a little little baby, her maternal grandmother said the English like queens, and I, I think it's very true. And so, as a consequence, I think it's very important and very significant that one of Queen Elizabeth II's uh, most Uh, important acts and an act she actually has done herself rather than Parliament. I mean, she trailed it, It it's going to have to go as a bill, but she trailed it last year, was changing the succession so that if Kate and William were to have a little girl, she would inherit the throne, not have to wait and see whether or not there was a boy or not.
2: Amazing. Um, That's been absolutely wonderful, Kate, to have you in. Now, the paperback for The Pleasures of Men is out on the Is it the 5th of July?
0: The 5th of July, and in The Pleasures of Men, Queen Victoria is a very different figure. We see her as the dry and dour queen, but she's very different. It's this flippity-jibbit queen that no one really trusts, and everyone says, why is the city declining, falling, being ruined? Why is there this crime? My novel's about a murderer called the Man of Crows, who lurks around the city and this young girl called Catherine becomes obsessed with him. And everyone's saying, what, what is the Queen doing about this? She's doing nothing. She's in her palace with her ladies-in-waiting and Prince Albert and nothing is happening. And they say, well, the reason why the, the whole city is declining is because a woman's on the throne and she's just too young to provide strong leadership. And that was what people actually thought. We wouldn't think it now.
2: No, not at all, not at all. And finally, just one last question for you. For fans of The Pleasures of Men, what's happening with the next book?
0: Well, my next book I'm just trying to finish at the moment. I've been scribbling away at it this morning. It's set slightly later in Victoria's Reign, and it's about a young girl who has been a governess in China, and she comes over to work as a governess in a large, strange house in the north of England, where there are lots of weird goings-on and a pair of pretty spooky twins.
2: Sounds fascinating. Well, thank you very much for coming in, Kate.
0: Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here.
2: That was Kate
1: Williams talking to us about Queen Victoria's Diamond Jubilee. Kate's book, The Pleasures of Men, is available now in hardback and in paperback from the 5th of July. Have you ever wondered what would happen to the royal family if the monarchy was suddenly dismantled? Wonder no more, because next up we have a reading from The Queen and I, written by Sue Townsend, the author of the iconic Adrian Mole books. In The Queen and I, a republican party wins the general election, strips the royal family of their titles, and sends them to live on a housing estate in the Midlands. Chaos ensues as the royals are forced to live like everybody else.
2: The Queen winced as Jack Barker ground his cigarette out on the silk rug. A faint smell of burning rose between them. Jack fought the urge to apologise. The Queen stared at Jack disdainfully. His stomach gurgled. Her picture had hung in his classroom when he was struggling to learn his nine times table. In his boyhood, he used to look to the Queen for inspiration. Prince Charles bent down and picked up the cigarette stub. He looked for somewhere to put it, but, finding nowhere suitable, he slipped it into his pocket. Princess Margaret said, bit. I've got to have a fag, please. May we open the windows, Mr Barker, asked the Queen. Her accent cut into Jack like a crystal. He half expected to bleed. No chance, he replied. Am I to have a house of my own, Mr Barker? And must I share with my daughter and son-in-law? The Queen Mother gave Jack a famous smile, but her hands were twisting the full skirt of her periwinkle dress into a knot. You'll get a pensioner's bungalow. It's your entitlement as an ordinary citizen of this country. A bungalow, good. I couldn't manage stairs. Will my staff be living in or out? Jack laughed and looked at his fellow Republicans, six men and six women, hand-picked to witness this historic occasion. They laughed along with Jack. You don't seem to understand. There'll be no staff, no dressers, no cooks, secretaries, cleaners, chauffeurs. Turning to the Queen, he said, you'll have to nip in now and then, help your mum out, but you'll probably be entitled to Meals on Wheels. The Queen Mother looked quite pleased to hear this. So I shan't starve? Under the People's Republican Party's rule, nobody in Britain will starve, said Jack. Prince Charles cleared his throat and said, Er, uh, may wanna inquire as to where that is the equation? If you ask me where you're all going, I'm not telling you. All I can say at the moment is that you'll all be in the same street, but you'll have strangers as next-door neighbours, working-class people. Here's a list of what you can take with you. Jack held out photocopies of each of the lists his wife had compiled only two hours before. The lists were headed, essential items, furnitures fittings, suitable for two-bedroomed council house and pensioners' bungalow. The Queen Mother's list was much shorter, she noticed. Jack held the papers out, but nobody came forward to take them. Jack didn't move. He knew that one of them would crack. Eventually, Diana got up. She hated scenes. She took the papers from Jack and gave each member of the royal family their list. There was quiet for a few moments while they read. Jack fiddled with the gun in his pocket, only he knew that it wasn't loaded. "'Mr Barker, there is no mention of dogs here,' said the Queen." One per family, said Jack. Horses? asked Charles. Would you keep a horse in a council house garden? No, quite. One wasn't thinking. Clothes aren't on the list, said Diana shyly. You won't be needing much, just the bare essentials. You won't be making personal appearances, will you? Princess Anne rose and stood next to her father. Thank God for that. At least something good has come out of this bloody shambles. Are you all right, Pa. Prince Philip was in a state of shock and had been ever since the previous night when he turned on the television for election night special 1125 and seen the announcement of the election of Jack Barker, founder and leader of the People's Republican Party, as member for Kensington West. Prince Philip had watched incredulously as Barker addressed the joyous crowds in the town hall. Middle-aged poll taxpayers had cheered alongside young people wearing ragged jeans and nose rings. He had lifted the telephone and advised his wife to watch the television set. Half an hour later, she rang him back. Philip, please come to my room. They had sat up until the early hours as one Republican candidate after another had been declared elected in front of cheering crowds of British citizenry. Gradually, their children joined them. At 7.30am, the servants brought them breakfast, but nobody ate. By 11am, the People's Repu- Republican Party had won 451 seats and John Major, the Conservative Prime Minister, had reluctantly considered defeat. Shortly afterwards, Jack Barker announced that he was Prime Minister. His first job, he said, would be to go to Buckingham Palace and order the Queen to abdicate. The 13 Republicans in a minibus had been waved through the gates of Buckingham Palace by smiling policemen. The soldiers of the household cavalry had removed their bearskins and waved them in the air. Members of the Queen's personal staff had shaken them by the hand. Champagne had been offered, but had been declined. Until his election as member for Kensington West, Jack Barker had been the leader of a breakaway section of the Television Technicians Union, for the three weeks preceding the general election, Jack and his disgruntled members had broadcast subliminal messages to the watching public. Vote Republican, end the monarchy. On the Saturday before polling day, the Times had called for the dismantling of the monarchy. A 100,000 anti-monarchists had walked from Trafalgar Square to Clarence House, not knowing that the Queen Mother was at the races. A violent thunderstorm had dispersed them before she returned, but she saw the discarded placards from the window of a limousine. God damn you, ma'am. And ever, she thought, surely they meant God bless, didn't they? That evening, she noticed that her staff was surly and uncooperative. Co- she had to wait for an hour for a servant to draw her bedroom curtains. On polling day, the British people, brainwashed by the television technicians, had made their choice.
1: That was a reading from Sue Townsend's The Queen and I. Next up, we have a serious battle to the death between Henry VII and Queen Elizabeth II.
2: Monarch Entertainment presents She's petite, she's feisty, a seasoned veteran and an icon of the early 21st century In the blue corner, it's Elizabeth II
3: Hello, it's Marina and I'll be representing Elizabeth II, the Diamond Queen
2: He's a bruiser, a miser, a streetwise regicide with one foot in the late medieval and the other in the renaissance. In the red corner, it's Henry the
4: VII. Hello, this is Simon. I'll be representing Henry Seventh, the Winter King.
2: Diamond Queen versus Winter King. Let battle commence.
3: She was raised in a loving family. She had a carefree childhood away from the public eye, playing with her corgis in a little Welsh cottage she was given for her birthday.
4: His father having died in a Welsh castle prison before he was born, he was raised in the fratricidal shambles of the Wars of the Roses, with so many of his relatives being killed off that he found himself at the top of the list of doubtful but semi-plausible claimants to the throne.
3: She learned everything from her predecessor, her father George VI, who bravely came to the throne, conquered his stutter, and was a model of
4: decency. He clambered to power over the mutilated corpse of his predecessor, Richard III, who had bravely come to the throne by killing everybody in his way, including the little tots in the tower.
3: Nobody can forget her dignity at George VI's funeral, one of the last great moments of sombre British imperial splendour.
4: Here had Richard III's body displayed, stark naked in Leicester. The corpse's hair mockingly tied under the chin.
3: Her successor is a dapper, thoughtful, architecturally obsessive organic farmer, who collects Eskimo walrus ivory and is on wife number two.
4: His successor was a half-ton ogre covered in jewels and bits of food, who collected holbeins and wound up on wife number six.
3: She is also Queen of Australia, New Zealand, and Canada ecstatically received tools to which are among the highlights of her reign.
4: He had never heard of Australia or New Zealand, and only had confusing and unhelpful reports from Sebastian Cabot about some foggy bits of Canada which Cabot, borderline idiotically, was under the impression was China.
3: She lives to serve, has led a long lifetime of dedicated attention to her paperwork, and is the heart of the constitutional machinery that makes Britain so great.
4: He lived to claw up money into treasure chests a long lifetime of dedicated attention to illegal methods of squeezing cash out of everybody within reach, the heart of a malevolent and paranoid spider-like machinery that makes England such a creepy part of the world in the 16th century.
3: She has 60 years of esteem and genuine love. Loyal greetings, ma'am.
4: He's dead. Hooray! Perhaps Henry VIII will be better.
2: She's got him on the mat! He's down! He's out! It's all over for the lank-haired
5: hopeful!
1: So our Diamond Queen triumphs over the Winter King, Henry VII. Well, she is only the second monarch to reach the Diamond Jubilee, so what did you expect? And finally, we have Sarah Bradford, expert on all things royal and author of the definitive biography of the Queen, Queen Elizabeth II, Her Life in Our Times.
2: Hi, listeners, I'm Sarah and I'm back here and I'm with Sarah Bradford this time round, author of Queen Elizabeth II, Her Life in Our Times. And we'll be talking a little bit more about the Queen and the Jubilee that's coming up around the corner. So, Sarah, it's lovely to speak to you today. First off, what are your plans for the Jubilee?
5: Well, um, they're quite complicated with all the different broadcasting I've got to do. But it means um that I'm going to be at home and in the studios basically
2: yes yes and <laughs> and obviously it's going to be quite a big celebration
5: well yes yeah. uh, the thing I'm really looking forward to is that boat the, the boat, boat yes
2: me too i'm, I'm I've been privileged <laughs> enough to get some tickets to our um, oh lucky you to the floor well, in our building so i will be able to, to see quite a good view yes and lovely. there's quite a lot of talk about it getting extremely busy now compared to past jubilees and past. Celebrations throughout the nation. Do you think it's going to be as big as what it's always been? Is there going to be street parties? Or do you think it's going to be a bit more of a smaller affair? You no,
5: know, I should think it's going to be quite big. With I think everybody's got very excited about the royal family at the moment. Ever since the royal, um, the royal wedding last year, I think it's been a focus of attention. And the Queen's been travelling the country. She's been on a tour to Ireland the first visit by a British monarch since 1911. And there's been very exciting times, and I think people are looking forward to it. Um, Every other Jubilee, I might say, that I've been rung up by people saying, don't you think this is going to be a terrible flop? Um, And only the foreign media seemed to think it was going to be all right. And the pessimists were always wrong. Both the Jubilees were a great, great success.
2: Definitely. And you mentioned the royal wedding, and it seems that when Queen Elizabeth first took the throne, that a huge kind of like modernisation of the royal family was happening. And it seems that that wave is kind of starting again with, with William and Kate.
5: Well, I think so. And I think one of the reasons the Queen looks so happy is because I think the symbol that Kate and William represent for the future is a very important one. And for the Queen, it's keeping the country unified and stable with her as a symbol. And um, preserving the monarchy and carrying on the family, and that's important to her. And I think that marriage and those actually lovely young people really mean that to her.
2: Yes, definitely. And do you think that this will help boost the royal family's kind of popularity a lot more over the next few years?
5: Well, I imagine they can't get much pop- more popular than it is. They're always anti monarchist and they're not going to change their mind. But I think the vast majority of the population like the Queen very much and they like the young royals and I think they're interested.
2: Yes, and I mean, I was speaking with another royal commentator recently and they were saying that, you know, with Queen Elizabeth, it's the only queen that's held it up since Victoria for the Diamond Jubilee. What is it with the nature of women taking the throne and managing to stay there longer in their popularity?
5: Well, it's extraordinary, isn't it? It seems to be true. It seems to be that people rely, like they rely on their mothers, I suppose. Um, people just regard them as a member of the family, as somebody who's important in their lives. And I think the other commentator is quite right. I mean, Queen Victoria was the one who established the image of the family on the throne. And the men who went before her were pretty badly behaved, actually. Um, so I think that there's something in being a queen, being a mother, being a grandmother, um, that, that reaches out to people. It certainly reaches out to the Commonwealth, because I've got several appointments to talk to Commonwealth countries.
2: It's fascinating, really, isn't it? And I've read through the biography a bit, and it's quite strange with Philip. It was, you know, he had to kind of take a step back from the queen.
5: It must have been very difficult because he's a very male man and to have to give up his job in the Navy where he had a promising career ahead of him and, as you say, um, walk two steps behind the Queen and sit on a lower throne and all this kind of thing must have been very, very hard, particularly when his wife suddenly became very, very busy. Um, But I think he's managed wonderfully. He's gone through all sorts of ups and downs, because as we all know, he's not the most tactful man in the world. and He hasn't changed his personality, and he's not going to change. But what he has done is support the Queen in the most amazing way, including at the age of 90, going around the country and going on these visits with her.
2: Yes, and it really is. He has become something of, somewhat of a treasure to the nation. Yes, he um, has. Almost like a comedy character, but
5: in a yes. lovable,
2: lovable way for definite. Yes,
5: he's part of the play, really, isn't he?
2: Yes, yes. And and moving forward with the royal family, um, obviously in the future we're going to have a king by the looks of things. How do you think that will shift from going from such a strong female? We've had her as a kind of icon for so many years now. How do you think that shift will go
5: well, down? Well, I mean, she certainly has all his blessing and encouragement, doesn't she? Um, I mean, we'll miss her terribly. She's been the queen in our lives, all the time we can remember. So it will be, you know, quite a change. But then on the other hand, at least, he's young, he's good-looking, he's obviously nice, he's well-trained in his job, he knows how to talk to people, and how to smile at people and be part of the scene.
2: Yeah, and it really is, it, all of this is kind of encouraging the pride of Britain. I mean, along with the sports that's happening this year, we've kind of got the Jubilee as well and then the Royal Wedding Last year, it seems like everything is just kind of culminating into this huge pride of Britain at the moment.
5: Yes, it does, doesn't it? I mean, I I suppose it's a coincidence, but that's how it's worked out. And certainly the interest from abroad is is terrific.
2: Yes, and and you were speaking about the media earlier. There's obviously been quite a lot of, um, shall we say, scandal in the media lately. Yes. Do you think this will help boost the royal family's popularity in that now that the media will have to take a back step on such things, it seems that like the power of the media is falling a little bit?
5: Yes. Um, well, I think they, they, they received a great shot when Diana died because a lot of people blamed the paparazzi, and I think rightly, for her death. And so they decided they'd better be a bit more careful. But now I think also you have to remember that the politicians have had various scandals of their own. And I think that all that has made one people turn to the Queen as a symbol for unity and for the good life, let's say.
2: Yeah, and she, she is the one consistent thing that we've got over the past 60 years. You know, politicians change, and it seems that the Queen has just been this solid, solid character. And obviously you mentioned Diana's death, and perhaps... The royal family's kind of um, reaction to that wasn't portrayed well in that they they didn't react to it. But it seems yeah. that having that downfall has helped them come back up. It has almost well, humanised them. Yes, the
5: Queen said in that broadcast she made on the eve of Diana's funeral, when she offered what was almost an apology for not being around, and also said, speaking as a grandmother and as your Queen, and she said, Lessons have been learned, and they have been learned, um, from Diana's life. I about making the monarchy, you know, more close to the people, or closer to the people, I should say. And I think that that was a result, a deliberate result. And, you know, all the communications with the palace now are very modern and very easy. Uh, the whole scene has changed a great deal.
2: Yes, and it, it is fascinating to track their history in such but, um, Sarah, with with fans for Queen Elizabeth II, Her Life in Our Times, what, what are your plans for your next,
5: next well, book? Big... <laughs> well, strangely, I was already write, writing a biography of the Queen's great-grandmother, or great-great-grandmother, I always get this wrong, Queen Victoria. Oh, so you get, it'll be quite yes, an interesting I've already done two years' work on that. Mm-hmm. So another two years and that will be finished. But I just broke off because I thought I'd like to remember the years That the Queen's been on the throne and the years that we've been alive, and what has happened, not so much to her, Nessie, as to us as well. Yes. And so that's why I did this book.
2: Amazing. And it is an absolutely fascinating read. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Sarah, for coming in today.
5: Well, thank you, Sarah.
1: That was Sarah Bradford, author of Queen Elizabeth II Her Life in Our Times. Well, that's it from us at the Penguin podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and enjoy the Jubilee weekend however you're celebrating. To find out more about the authors and books featured in this episode, please visit our website at penguinpodcast.co.uk and if you have any comments or suggestions, we'd really like to hear them. You can email us at podcast at uk.penguingroup.com or if you'd rather tweet us, we're at penguinpodcast on Twitter.
0: You've been listening to The Penguin Podcast.